Good evening, everyone. My name is DJ Argon, and you are listening to On Air with Aaron, Episode 2. So, in case you're new to the show and you missed last week's episode, I am going to be talking about on this show things pretty much gaming-related that includes video game news, um, announcements, games that are coming out, game reviews, and games that I would like to see on certain consoles. If you are interested in watching last week's show, I have uploaded it onto Spotify. I have up also uploaded it onto YouTube under my YouTube channel, Argon Games, space between Argon and Games. You can go check it out there and give it a listen, if you so please. So, without further ado... Let's get right into the first points of the show. So in this past week, there have been some pretty big news for the gaming industry. And today, there was something very exciting announced. For all of you Animal Crossing fans, there will be a Nintendo Direct, an Animal Crossing specific Direct, on February 20th this year. It was announced today at around 2 p.m. on social media platforms such as Instagram and Twitter and it's just going to be I believe we said about 25 minutes 25 minutes about half an hour roughly of just straight Animal Crossing news for the new game New Horizons so that's very exciting I know a lot of Animal Crossing fans on Twitter and uh, and Instagram and basically anywhere else that Animal Crossing fans exist were talking about how much they wanted a Nintendo Direct because the last Nintendo Direct was actually on September 4th, 2019. Somebody had a day counter on that, and I believe that equated to about a hundred and like 60 days, somewhere around there. A really, really big number, and it's it's kind of crazy because I never played the Animal Crossing games. They were never really my thing. But I'm most likely going to be tuning into this Direct to see what's going to happen and all the new news. I know I have some friends out there who are big Animal Crossing fans. So I'll be interested to see what is going to be discussed in this Direct. could be some pretty good stuff. It could be, if you remember I brought up the last show, them talking about the cloud save storage that initially wasn't going to be on Animal Crossing. It might be on it this time. They might announce it at the Direct. Who knows? But keep your eyes and ears peeled. Make sure to listen in on that. It will start promptly at 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So it's a little early, but it'll definitely be uploaded. The whole rest of the the stream will be uploaded onto YouTube later under Nintendo's account and probably under the Animal Crossing topic. So if you're interested in that, wake up bright and early, enough time to watch the Direct at 6 a.m. or watch it anytime later. Try to avoid spoilers, though, if you want a, if you want a perfect experience for it. Next on the list comes from GameRant.com. For all of you Persona fans and Persona 5 fans specifically... Your prayers might be answered. Persona 5 has a chance to make it on the Nintendo Switch. This was something that a lot of Persona fans wanted and some other just Switch fans wanted ever since Joker was released as the, f the first Smash Brothers DLC fighter. I know myself included never played nor heard of the Persona series of games and... I'm not going to be completely honest, even though I know every DLC fighter for Smash has been a character that existed previously in a video game. 
when I first heard, I didn't see the announcement, but when I first heard that Joker was going to be in Smash, I was really confused. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean the, the DC villain, that Joker? He's going to be in Smash. That doesn't make any sense. Why did they add him in Smash? And then, of course, I went back and you know, watched the uh, the actual reveal trailer during the 2018 Game Awards. And I didn't know anything about this character. And I was like, wow, this looks this looks pretty cool. And then I looked up gameplay of Persona 5. And oh my gosh, that art style is beautiful. Absolutely phenomenal. And the soundtrack, the few songs that we have in Smash are just are so much fun, even even though Last Surprise got a little, uh, a little bit overplayed uh, once the DLC came out for Smash. Um, I still thought that overall it was a really, really good song. And I would definitely like to see Persona 5 coming onto the Switch, but it's going to come at a cost. Apparently, Atlas, developers and creators of Persona 5, uh, are encouraging fans who want the port to keep letting them know that they want it, and one day... It could happen they're encouraging fans on twitter specifically to use the hashtag break free persona to make their voices heard when i first heard this i was pretty excited because i said wow these developers are they're listening they know that people want the game and they're trying to get them to really convey their interest in having this game ported because from a company standpoint you know, for the most part, you're going to want to have your game available to a majority of people just because you can reach a wider audience, increase sales, and have a good company image across any platform. But I saw a couple people talking about how this statement by Atlas kind of rubbed them the wrong way, and I can see where they were coming from with that because, you know, they're aware that the fans want the game, clearly, because they came out and tweeted saying, hey, we know that you want this, so we're encouraging you to keep wanting it and keep pushing for it. So some fans got uh, got rubbed the wrong way and said, like, well, why are you guys doing this? Why aren't you guys just just releasing this? This seems kind of this this seems kind of kind of a little messed up. Just making people like, come on, keep keep pushing for it. And I think that also uh, that negative view uh, was aided by the fact that apparently Persona Five. Royal or Royale, I, th I think I can't remember exactly, but it's the one that I believe is actually on the Switch. Um, that one came out not too long ago, and apparently they're they have some really really strict streaming rules for streaming that game. There was a whole list that popped up. Um, it, it read almost like like patch notes. It came up and was saying a bunch of limitations that streamers and YouTubers and all these other media personalities have if they want to show Persona 5 Royale, or Royal, I, I honestly cannot remember the name. Um, and the list just went on and on. It talked about things that you couldn't upload the music purely for a musical reason to listen to it, which, I mean, makes sense. I mean... No one's no, no streamer is really doing that. The streamers are going and playing the games and and showing people exactly what the game is. And a lot of people use streamers for sort of an avenue to uh, watch gameplay for a game they might not be able to afford at the time, a game that they're on the fence about. And if you're banning people from streaming it, that kind of can be counterproductive for what you want for your game. If people are using streamers to to watch a game and then either get interested or or, or not interested. 
then why would you try to prohibit people from watching that and streamers from from showing that material because everyone knows that persona 5 uh you know in the past year and a half has definitely grown to be really really big so i think it would it would be a little ridiculous to have this whole huge debacle about oh you have to follow these specific streaming things for for following this and there could be more to the story i don't obviously know this was brought about to light only i think within the past you know 20 hours or so so it's bound to things are bound to change they might come out and you know try to clarify some things some fans might have misconstrued what was said and what was posted don't know exactly but uh nevertheless um if you really want to see persona 5 come to the nintendo switch so you can play it on the go then you can reach out to Atlas through the hashtag BreakFreePersona on Twitter. It's still still alive and going. You could still tweet out to there, and hopefully, uh, Persona fans have reached that sort of threshold that the developers were looking for to bring in the port. So be looking for that in the future. Next on the list, E3 2020. With the new year coming. We have a new E3 coming up soon. Now, the E3 is not until June 9th, and it's going to be the 9th, 10th, and the 11th. So it's not for a couple more months, so we don't need to don't need to worry about, you know, dedicating some time to watch the live stream yet. But there is some news regarding E3 this year. There's going to be a lot of booths and popular names of companies going to be there, such as Bandai Namco, Entertainment, Bethesda, Capcom, Hori, Microsoft, N-Dreams, Nintendo, NVIDIA, Oculus, Sega, Square Enix, Take-Two Interactive, Ubisoft, and Warner Brothers Interactive. That's about 15 names that have already been confirmed as of now. And as you can see, Microsoft is on there, leading run for the Xbox Series X. Nintendo's there. Leading rivals for the Nintendo Switch. But Sony is not on that list. This is the second year that Sony has announced that they will not be attending E3. They were not there last year as well. They didn't release any new information. But this raises some questions about the new system, the PS5, that they are bringing out. So far, not a whole lot has been released about the PS5, and Sony has been not extremely quiet about it, but they haven't come out with concrete things. Now, the Xbox hasn't named its price yet for the Xbox Series X, and the PlayStation hasn't brought out the full price of the console yet, but they did bring up some stuff that I will talk about later. But another name that has shared that he will not be attending E3 this year is Jeff Cayley, or Keegley. I'm pretty sure it's Cayley. Jeff Cayley, uh, the Game Awards host and uh, the regular E3 host. A very prominent name in the video gaming industry announced that he will not be attending E3 this year and in turn will not be hosting it this year. And this is this is big because he's been hosting it the past couple years uh, people know who he is. He's a very prominent name. People people know about him. This is a very interesting call that he doesn't want to join E3 this year. But we'll have to see where things go. Because uh, E3 this year, a lot of people so far are speculating it's just kind of going to be... Eh? It's not going to be terrible. 
but it's not going to be huge. It might not be as hyped um, as some people might hope it would be or as years past. Because at E3, this is a chance for developers to kind of let people know uh, the progress of games that are they are working on, consoles they're working on, and other big things that they are announcing. For example, back in 2015, I want to say, um, Final Fantasy VII Remake was announced for the PlayStation. Now, Final Fantasy VII Remake is coming out in April, I believe, April 10th of this year. So, that was a big announcement back in 2015, five years ago, because many people consider Final Fantasy VII to be the best Final Fantasy game in the entire lineup of the 15, I believe, main series games out. Um, they consider it to be one of the best RPGs of all time, some of the best characters. Um, people really love Final Fantasy VII, and they'll still go back and play the old, vintage, kind of boxy art style um, of that game. And rightfully so, they really, really love the game, and it's something that they're really dedicated to. So it's only natural that when Final Fantasy VII got announced, people were really, really hyped. But of course, it got put on the back burner. Some things happened within the, the developers, and they, uh, they had to push it back. But then they announced last year that Final Fantasy VII Remake will be coming out in 2020. So it's, it has another about month and a half left until it is available for the public. Um, if nothing else goes wrong, which hopefully it will not. Uh, but that's that's sort of what E3 does. It's it's a chance for chance for developers to announce these big things that they have coming up and get people hyped. But some people are worried that things aren't going to be as big this year for E3. So only time will tell. Not a whole lot more information has been released on the subject. But given that E3 is about three and a half months out from now. We are bound to learn a lot more new stuff about developers that will show up, will not show up, and potential games that could be announced and potential DLC or other big news that will be announced. So stay tuned for that. Next, I'm going to talk about what I brought up previously, alluded to, with the PlayStation 5 and its uh, price. So the PS5, it's unknown about what the official price retail price is going to be a lot of people just speculate since the last one was four hundred dollars that it's going to be something huge like 500 600 something like that because of all the increasing resolutions that are necessary to compete and to provide players with the best gaming experience playstation came out and announced that per console the ps5 costs about 450 dollars to make Considering that the PS4 cost, um, what's the number? Cost $381 to make. Cost about $70 more, and the PS4 retailed for $400, or $399.99. So this is pretty big news, considering that, you know, Xbox Series X is releasing, and we already have seen official photos of what the Series X is going to look like, the big, uh basically computer that you're going to have to put next to your computer in order to to play that that big thing um they're going to have that but the only thing that's been released for the ps5 are the the dev models and 
some people were kind of making fun of them. They said it kind of resembled one of those, uh, like a Dyson ball vacuum. <laughs> it, it honestly does, seeing the dev photos of what the, the PS5 right now looks like. But that's not going to be the final product, I, I don't believe. I, I hardly think that that would be a final design product, given how sleek the PlayStation has looked in the past, with its just nice, thin, black design with not a whole bunch of fancy indents and whatnot. It's just a simple-looking console. So, a lot of people are speculating that Xbox Series X might just take over the console war that is currently going on between PlayStation and Xbox. Many people are theorizing, as I brought up, that the PS5 could cost anywhere from $500, $550, $600. A lot of people have thrown out some some crazy numbers. Um, But, for example, Hideki Yasuda, I, I hope I pronounced that name right, um, he's an analyst for uh, Ace Research Capital. Sorry, yes, H Capital. And, oh my gosh, no, whoops. My bad, that's someone else. I confused it. Hideki Yasuda is from Ace Research Institute. There we go. He states that the console could be around $500, which, which makes sense given that it costs... per console to make and the PS4 cost about $381 to make and then they sold it for only $18-$19 more. So it would make sense if they wanted to make more money that they would put the number at $500 per console. Damien Thong from, he's an, uh, an analyst from Macquarie Capital he states that it could be around $470. This one seems uh, fairly likely, given the PS4's difference between the creation price and the retail price. Uh, at $470, which is only $20 more than the uh, $450 per console to create. This is really this is really interesting because that $20 is about the same, but it really only is going to boil down to. Uh, you know, the competition. Because the Xbox One, the initial Xbox One, not the not the One X, when it was released, it sold retail for $500. And this was back in, I believe, 2013 or 2014, somewhere around there. It launched for $500. And the PS4 came out and released for $400. So this was a big selling point as to why people bought the PS4. And then, of course, people came to love the exclusives and all the things that came with having a PS4. Um, The difference is that the Xbox One cost $471 to make. So about $28 difference between the $500 retail price and the $471 creation price. So a lot of people are speculating that PS4 could kind of do what Xbox did because it started off as $500 for the Xbox One, but then it dropped in price. I remember when I picked up my Xbox One, the thing could not have been more than $300, $350. So I don't think that if the PS5 launched for, let's say, $550 and the the Xbox Series X sold for $450, I would find it very unlikely that the PS5 would stay at its $550 price mark. But that's just me. So this ongoing console war between PS5 and the Xbox Series X 
has a lot of uh, interesting news coming for it. And there's only more stuff that is going to come later once PS5 announces its official price of the console as well as the Xbox Series X. So we'll just have to play the waiting game and wait and see exactly what it's going to bring for the future of console gaming. And with that, I am going to take a short little break. So stay seated right where you are, and I will be back soon. All right, everyone, welcome back to On Air with Aaron, episode two. So as I mentioned in my first episode, video games aren't always going to be what I talk about, though they are going to be the primary focus of this show. I'm going to be talking about a couple other things that, you know, lead to my interest. So some other geeky stuff and, and whatnot. So today I'm going to be talking about the Crunchyroll 2020 Anime Awards. Now, this list was released uh, on February 15th, 2020, so only a couple days ago, so this is still new and fresh. Uh, I'll be honest, I have seen a couple of the award winners. I haven't seen all of them, so some of them will be a surprise to me as well. So let's dive right into this together. So there's a bunch of awards for, for different things uh, in these awards. So let us just dive right in and see exactly who won what. So first off, we have the best character design. I might butcher these names because I, I am not the best at pronouncing Japanese names, so please bear with me. So the best character design goes to Satoshi Iwataki, uh, original character design by Hiroyuki Asada from Dororo. Oh, that's, that's a hard one to pronounce, Dororo, for, from that one. I've heard of that one before, uh, that anime before. Um, I have not seen it yet, so I might have to go check it out because they have a little picture right here on Crunchyroll's website, and I really like the the art design, especially the, the clouds in the background and the wheat fields. I believe they're they're standing in, so that that looks really pretty. So, congrats to them. Next on the list, we have the best animation, and the anime that is going to take the award for that is Mob Psycho 102. I haven't seen that one. I know I've had some friends that have been telling me, Aaron, you got to watch Mob Psycho. It's really interesting because um, from what I've gathered, it's about it's about a, uh, a kid who is a psychic. And I believe he attends a school where there's these other psychics, but he's like super powerful. Because I had seen the uh, disastrous life of Psyche K and the new one that's – um ah, oh, what's the one called? The the new one, the, the new season that just got put onto Netflix – um, I had watched that one and thought it was really funny, so I had some friends tell me I should watch Mob Psycho. Uh, so maybe I will give that a try, because if it got best animation, then it has to be beautiful to look at. So we will have to see. Next on the list is best fight scene. Now, if you've been following uh, the past anime that came from the beginning of 2019 all the way to the end, then this really shouldn't surprise you if you watched it all the way through, because this one is one of the most popular anime of this past season. The best fight scene is Tanjiro and Nezuko versus Rui in Demon Slayer. Now this this one I believe was episode 19 uh, in the first season of Demon Slayer. And my friend got me into watching Demon Slayer and I thought the art design was, was really, really cool. The opening is an absolute banger, by the way. Um, and they had a really interesting like world-building setting. It's set in 
a time period in Japan that I cannot remember, and even if I did, I'd probably butcher it. Um, I think it's like the Taijo period, maybe? I can't remember exactly. But it's a, it's a period set in Japan, and they use katanas to fight off these demons. And I won't obviously explain a whole lot, because I don't want to give anything away to people who haven't seen it yet and are interested in it. But I highly do recommend it. It is a very, very good anime. The first season is all out right now on most streaming sites. Uh, the only thing about it, is season two has not been confirmed yet though i do believe a movie has been confirmed but season two as of now has not been confirmed so just be on the lookout for that one all right so next we have the best couple coming to think of it what couples in anime this year have i seen honestly probably not a whole lot but that award is going to go to kaguya shinomiya and miyuki shirogani in kaguya sama love is war this one I've seen a uh, a lot of um a lot of memes about. Uh, I have yet to see this one actually myself. I think I had my one of my roommates watched it. And I think he said it was pretty good. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll give it a try. Um, but congrats to them for winning that. And the next one is for the best girl, and that award is going to go to Raftalia in The Rising of the Shield Hero. That is another one that I watched, and I enjoyed it. It's a, it's an isekai anime where this guy is transported to another world, um, just like every other isekai anime, of course. And uh, he is one of the four cardinal heroes. Now, of course, no spoilers, um, but it's a, it's a pretty, pretty enjoyable show. There are some themes that are kind of controversial, but I'll leave that to you. Um, but Best Girl, Raftalia, um, deserving of that award, so very good. And next, we have Best Boy, Demon Slayer rep yet again, Tanjiro Kamado, in Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. Tanjiro's a really good character. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even gonna lie. He's the protagonist of the, the anime, of course. Um, but he's really interesting. He has this drive to him, he has this motivation and he's got this power because of course it's, it's it's a battle anime so it's got to have the uh, it's got to have the power that the main character has and his power is really cool and um just paired with kind of his characters and his ideals it really sort of fits this whole theme of the show and it really makes you feel that the people he comes into contact with he has genuine emotion so that's a very good pick for this and congratulations to tanjiro Next is best opening sequence, uh, 99.9 in Mob Psycho 102 again. I'm assuming this means the the opening. I'm, I'm assuming. I don't know if that's like opening sequence, like first episode or like first couple minutes, but I'm assuming that's opening, which if that's the case, I have not seen the Mob Psycho 2 opening. So I think I will go ahead and watch that probably after the show sometime, and hopefully that'll draw me into the show. There was a lot of really good openings this uh, this past season. I really liked the Rising of the Shield Hero openings. The first one I enjoyed better than the second one. Uh, I enjoyed um, Astro Lost in Space. I really liked that opening. It had some, some pretty cool artistic things that they did. Uh, I loved the Promised Neverland opening. Oh my gosh, that one was a lot of fun. Uh, and then I loved, oh my gosh, are we counting my hero? Are we counting my hero? I, I'm going to count that. Opening six for my hero Polaris was really, really good. I, I love that one. It was, the art was kind of simplistic and there was some good stuff, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. But congrats to Mob Psycho for winning the best opening sequence of the 2019 year. And now the best ending sequence. This one, even though I haven't seen the show, I have seen this ending sequence and this one's, this one's hilarious. It's adorable. Uh, the best ending sequence goes to... Oh gosh, I'm gonna 
either sound weird pronouncing this or not know how to pronounce it. Chikato Chika Chika in Kaguya-sama Love is War. Uh, this one's this one's really iconic. <laughs> like a bunch of people have have memed it on YouTube and other uh, media apps where they've they've rotoscoped it so it looks hyper realistic. Uh, and it's it's really funny the song that goes along with it and the dance. It's some people have edited that that one song. I, I don't know the name of that song, um, but they've edited a song over it and it just it fits perfectly. So that's that's definitely a very deserving award for that category. Next is the best performance by a voice actor. Ah, uh, yes, we have Billy Kamets as Naofumi in The Rising of the Shield Hero. Now, Billy Kamets is a very, very, very good voice actor. I am a big fan of his work. I watched Rising of the Shield Hero in uh, sub. I watched it with the Japanese voices and the English subtitles. Um, so I only saw Billy Kamets' voice in a couple episodes. I didn't watch it all the way through because I didn't know there was a dub out yet because I was watching it on a VRV or Verve. So only the, the dub was out because it was uh, dubbed by Funimation and uh, Funimation cut their dubbing ties with um, with Verve and Crunchyroll. So it wasn't available on Verve. So I watched it all in sub. But Billy Kamitz is definitely a very notable voice actor. Um, he's also known for Ferdinand von Eyre in Fire Emblem Three Houses, I a character that I grew to love. Um, and who knows, maybe I'll do a game review of Three Houses at the end of this episode. Oh, what? That was me. Um, anyway, congrats to Billy Kamitz for winning that. Next, we have the best performance by a voice actor. This is a Japanese voice actor. Uh, Yuichi Nakamura as Bruno... B oh, gosh. How do I pronounce this? Uh, Buchiarati, I think, in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Golden Wind. JoJo's is one of those ones I've seen a couple episodes of, and it's like, I can't bring it up to anyone that, like, you know, I watched it and haven't finished it because it's like, you either get the people that say, oh my god, JoJo's is so stupid, or you get the people like, oh my god, JoJo's is so good, how have you not finished it? So, uh, But congrats congrats to him. I haven't heard that voice, um, though the torture dance is it's top tier. Next we have, ah yes, the best fantasy anime of the year, The Promised Neverland. And this one, as I mentioned before, I really loved Promised Neverland. It, it, got, it gave me some Attack on Titan vibes, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it was really, really really good um i love the characters i love the plot twists that happened i love the development it was a really 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 good anime there's only i think 12 or 13 episodes out um and the the episode names obviously not going to give anything away but they're very interesting and it gets explained why the episode names are, are what they are later on but very good congrats for winning that next is best comedy kaguya-sama love is war as I said, my roommate told me that this one's pretty funny, so I might have to check that one out if it seems pretty funny. Oh, best drama is Vinland Saga. This one I actually put on my queue on uh, Amazon Prime because I had heard so much about this anime. Uh, I don't know anything about it. Uh, I mean, now I know it's a, it's a drama, but I didn't know anything about this anime. Um, there's a sword where, uh, for the eye in Vinland, so I'm assuming it's like a fighting battle war anime, something like that. So I might have to give this one a try. Uh, I'm very intrigued in watching that. Next is Best Director, uh, Tetsuro Araka, Araki, I think, and Masashi Koizuka for Attack on Titan Season 3. Uh, I don't know if that's all of Season 3 or if that's the last half of Season 3, because if it's the last half of Season 3, that deserves an award all on its own. Attack on Titan is one of my favorite anime, and oh my gosh, that it's so, dub and sub. Like I really think that, that both of them really capture the characters and... 
oh my gosh this yeah attack on titan is very good and definitely deserves that award the best score goes to maki for carol and tuesday uh i haven't heard of this one this one seems to be a netflix original uh oh it's a music one. Oh, that looks cute maybe i'll have to try i'll have to test that out it looks it looks honestly oh no music anime make me cry Ugh. who knows maybe i'll maybe i'll check that out if i'm really in my feels Best protagonist is Senku Ishigami from Dr. Stone. That one, I, I also really love Dr. Stone. That one is a mwah, top tier, top tier anime of the past year. It's a lot of fun. And season two was already confirmed like before the season even ended. So has really good openings, really good characters. The dubs, the dub is pretty funny as well. Um, I watched it in both. Uh, it's a really, really good one. Main character is phenomenal. It's basically like, imagine Bill Nye as an anime. That's what Dr. Stone is, and I won't say anymore. Best antagonist is Isabella in The Promised Neverland. Oh my god. Isabella was a very, very, very well-written character. Again, not going to spoil anything, but she definitely was a very, very good antagonist and a very good, well-written character. And last but certainly not least, we have the anime of the year. Now, when this list came out, uh, I didn't see the anime of the year right off the bat, but I was thinking it had to be, uh, well, it had to be this one, <laughs> because uh, very few anime from this season that I personally enjoyed um, were either ones that were continuations, you know, such as My Hero, um, and I think Attack on Titan came out at the beginning of the year, yeah, it, it won the award, um, Attack on Titan came out at the beginning of the year, but I watched that all over summer, like episode one to episode 59, Um I watched all of that, so I was thinking a new one that had to get anime of the year is probably going to be this one, which is Demon Slayer. And this one, as I mentioned before, beautiful art, beautiful characters. Uh, I might get some hate for this one, but the only character that I sort of had a problem with uh, was Zenitsu. And I think his power is interesting. It's just that he's kind of just the he's just the titular character of, oh, hey, I'm just going to kind of. I don't want to say useless, but he just kind of, he gets a little much at times. He's an acquired taste, but I'm really looking forward to potential development of him in the future because I think he definitely has a lot of potential as a character. So we will have to see. And that concludes Crunchyroll's Anime Awards for 2020. So I think those are all pretty good. It was not that diverse of a list, really. It was mostly like, Demon Slayer and Kaguya-sama. Um, but I, I think that uh, those anime are definitely very uh, deserving of those awards. I, I think that there was there was a lot of good that came this past season. Um, I'm really excited for... Uh, um, I'm really excited for this upcoming year, the 2020 anime season, because we have things like Attack on Titan Season 4, the final season. We have the Promised Neverland Season 2. Uh, potentially Shield Hero Season 2, though I heard it could be delayed till 2021. Um, we have more My Hero coming out. There's just a lot of new stuff that's coming out that's going to be definitely on my watch list. Okay, so with that, we are going to go on to the game review. As I alluded to earlier, the game that I am going to be reviewing today is Fire Emblem Three Houses. This game, much like Breath of the Wild, was the first game of the series that I 
played. This is, I believe, the 17th main series Fire Emblem game that has come out. Now, what Fire Emblem is, for people that you don't know, is basically human chess. Like, just basically imagine chess with anime characters. <laughs> it's like the best way to describe it, honestly. Um, but Fire Emblem Three Houses is a is is a fun game. I really loved playing through Three Houses. When I got my Switch, I wanted to expand, as I brought up last episode, I wanted to expand kind of my category of games that I played. And I had never really played a strategy game like Three Houses. Um, I had played other games that require you to strategize, but I had never played a, a turn-based like strategy game other than Pokemon, but Pokemon's a category all on its own. Um, but I had never played one like this, so I didn't really know what to expect. So I saw all the, the uh, trailers and whatnot for Three Houses, forgot pretty much all of them by the time I bought the game, so I went into this game fairly blind. So let's start off with uh, the beginning of the game. So when I first played through this game in my very first playthrough, I didn't know anything about the characters and the lords and, and whatnot, so I just went in completely blind. So they start you off with this cutscene, and just a fair warning, there will be spoilers just because I don't know if I can contain myself. There will be spoilers for Fire Emblem Three Houses, so if you haven't played through the game or watched through the game, then I suggest you uh, either tune this part out or you just skip to the end. Anywho, so the beginning of the game starts out with this cutscene that deals with uh, Lady Saros fighting the King Nemesis with a familiar weapon that you will see later on. And Saros talks to her, talks to King Nemesis about remembering the Red Canyon and then proceeds to end his life. And after that, she, uh, Saros picks up her weapon, uh, his weapon rather, uh, Nemesis's weapon, and says, uh, it's okay now, mother. So it kind of implies that there is something like Saros and her mother, that Saros and her mother are going to have some form of a play in the overall play out of the game. So that's what the game opens you with. And then the game opens you next with, uh, there's this character, this short, green, a lot of green hair, uh, green-haired uh, little girl, pretty much, uh, sitting in this chair, and... It's a dark room. She's sitting on a chair, or a throne, rather. And then there's this just this dark room. And then you're there, and this is the part where you can create your character, or select your character, rather. You can choose... Uh, Byleth is the, the main character's name. Um, you can customize it, of course. Um, I themed all of mine after um, after Jules. I named it uh, Safia, Emera, uh, oh gosh, Rubia, and Jade, I believe. Um, and then I think I just named Crystal for, you know... Just for continuity's sake. Anywho, diverging a little bit. So then you go and you create your character, and then you start off with this um, this basic like kind of tutorial fight where the three lords that are end up leading the three houses later on into the game come. You have to work with them and fight them, and then once you're fighting them and you complete it, there's a little cutscene. Um, there's a little like cutscene that shows uh, the the bad guy you were fighting going and trying to attack. Um, one of the house leaders, Edelgard. And you go and you try to stop, and then you find out that you can reverse time. You have uh, you have time reversal controls. So with that, you finish your fight, and then you go off to Garrig Mach Monastery, which is the basically the hub where most of the game takes place with, you know, 
leveling up in quotes char your character, uh, learning other characters and whatnot. So you go there and then you talk to Lady Rhea, um, who is the Archbishop of the church. And then you go and talk to her uh, about a bunch of other stuff, and she asks you some questions. And then you find out <clears throat> that Lady Rhea wants you to become a professor at Garrick Mock Monastery. So right then and there, the game is set of what you're supposed to do. You are fighting in a strategy game. You are these teachers, and you are supposed to pick one of the three houses. You can either choose the house led by Dimitri Bladed, which is the i was about to say the the i was about to say the the blue eagles it is the blue lion's house or you can choose claude von claude von reagan which is the golden deer house and then you have edelgard von hressfeld hressvelg my bad uh which is the black eagles so you get to choose, and all of these houses have their own unique characters yeah of course some of them kind of like you know, they have the similar tropes, like they have the strong dude, they have like the shy, quiet person, you know, they have like a lot of the similar tropes, but nonetheless, every character has their own unique quips and their own unique personality traits that really help define them and differentiate them from the rest of the cast. Now, of course, every house deals with something different, like the Golden Deer are mostly like lords, and they deal with the Leicester Alliance in the northeastern portion of the map. It's a smaller area, a little bit more um, honest, and it's led by Claude, who is just a very, very interesting character, voiced by uh, Joe Zija, who is an incredible voice actor, hilarious guy. Uh, check him out on YouTube. I highly recommend him. Um, and he's kind of just this conniving, kind of fun guy who just loves schemes and tricks and just has a great personality. Um, and then you have the uh, the Holy Kingdom of Fargus, which is led by Dimitri Alexander Bladed, as mentioned previously. Uh, and he's a very, very kind man. He is... He talks about, you know, being the future king. He talks about doing all this other stuff. And he's, he's, he's just a great guy. Um, to choice, choose to join his house. His area is in the northwestern portion of the map. It's, in a bit, it's a bit bigger than the Leicester Alliance. And then finally, you have Edelgard von Hressvelg. And she is the leader of the Black Eagle House. And she is very straightforward. She very much has a, has a strong head on her shoulder. And she knows what she wants. And she comes from the, uh, no, I almost forgot the name for a second. She comes from the Adrestian Empire. And the Adrestian Empire is the, basically the entire southern portion of the whole map, of Fodlin, uh, the, the, the map, that the world that this game takes place in. So in all, like the whole southern part of Fodlin, it's the biggest part, uh, is all the Adrestian Empire. Um, and then off the coast, you have some other places, like you have uh, Bridget, which another character is from, and then you have um, some other places that are that are off to like the the west, like Almira and stuff like that. And once you do that, you get to choose which house you want to be in. So for my first playthrough, I chose the Blue Lions house because I looked at them and they had it, just a pretty interesting looking cast. Like they they all looked pretty pretty normal. Thought it was going to be pretty good playthrough, and I fell in love with. Uh, the cast like every character they, they start off and they do uh something that i dub the thing which is whenever the characters they all have like their one line of oh yeah this is like my entire character in a nutshell um anime do this all the time like black clover does it uh you know 
my hero does it sometimes. So like it's it's a very common thing, the thing. Um, so they all start off like whenever you choose a house, they all go and do their thing. Like the you know the sweet girl says, "Oh, it's so nice to meet you." The big strong guy says, "Let's go fight," and other things like that. And it's and it's just it's it's comedic and it's to let you kind of know that these are the people. But as the game progresses, every character you learn has their own little quips and their own support conversations. And in the support conversations, you find out more about each character. And Every character is going through some similar things, but every character is going through something different. You know, there might be a big strong guy in each house, but the big strong guy in uh, another house might be dealing with more of protecting and serving the king and being loyal only to the king. That's Dudu from the Blue Lion's house. But the strong guy in maybe the Golden Deer house, Raphael, focuses a little bit more on caring for his family and his sister because both of his parents passed away. So he is looking out for his sister and he 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 keeps all of his friends close and cares for them. So they have similar like fighting tropes, but they're also very very different characters. And that's something that I really liked about the game was how much you care for every character because as I mentioned this is a spoiler review. So what happens is you start off and everything is broken up by months. So when you play through a month, you can go and explore the monastery. And what you can do is you can eat food with your students, which lets you build bonds with them. You can, uh, you can, oh my God, you can go fish. You can plant seeds, which help like you learn skills so you can teach your students better. Um, you can interact with your students, engage in support conversations if it's uh, allowed, and other things like that. You can just explore and find all these new things. You can go and sing songs, level up your uh, your magic abilities, all this other stuff. And it's really, really unique, and it's nice. And then at the end of each week on the – I think it's the Saturday um, – what you go and do is you teach your students. And you can choose to auto-instruct or you can choose to manually instruct. When you manually instruct, then what you do is you go and you select a certain skill. Now, every character has a skill or skills that they are proficient in. So, for example, one of the classes in the game is a Mortal Savant, which is a sword fighter that also uses dark magic. So, for example, uh, if you wanted to have a student do that, you would have to level up their their dark magic skill because there's, uh, there's different types of magic in the game. You can uh, level up their dark magic skill and their sword skill. Now, if your character doesn't prefer to use a sword, they are more of an axe user or a lance user, then it'll either uh, be a neutral uh, skill or it'll have a little uh, two little uh, red arrows facing down, which means that there's a higher chance that they will fail that lesson so they won't gain XP. So you can mix and match like, oh, your big strong guy ends up using magic or your small weak person uses axes and has high strength or something like that. You can really customize, but to play optimally, quote unquote, you should use the skills that are you know, available. Like the, the sword person uses the sword. The, the flying person goes on a flying uh, a wyvern. They do stuff like that. But you can kind of customize it and do it however you want, which is really, really interesting because as someone who had never played the Fire Emblem games, I wasn't used to this customization of your characters and all this stuff, so I didn't really know what I was doing. I just saw, oh, Dudu, he's big and strong, so he will use Axe. That, 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 was, that was basically my logic, and I just kind of went with the thing that everyone was doing, like, oh, Ash uses a bow. I'm going to have him be the, the archer. 
oh, okay, so Felix loves swords, so I'm going to have him using a sword, which you find out later in the game that most characters have things called crests, and what the crests do is they they uh, activate during specific points. Felix's, uh, for example, is he's one of my favorite units in the entire game. Felix's is uh, the crest of Fraldarius, the family that he that he hails from. And what the crest of Fraldarius does is it'll sometimes activate more damage whenever you attack. So what that damage scales to is per hit is five extra damage. Which, depending on the context, that might not sound like a lot, but in Fire Emblem, that's a lot. Because at most, depending on like your 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 uh, character you're fighting, you could be fighting a boss that has 115 HP. And your students might have 40. Your students might have 70. Dealing an extra 5 damage is crucial. And if your character is fast enough, has a fast enough attack speed, then they can hit twice in one turn. If they hit twice in one turn, then Felix has the opportunity to have his crest activate twice, meaning he deals 10 extra damage. So if he's dealing 10 damage per hit, that's 30 damage right there, because you get the 20 from just the basic sword hits, and then you get the, the two fives from the crest. So you're dealing 30 damage in one turn, which is big for the game so there's a lot of mix and match potential with these specific students so with that i'm going to now talk about the uh the the world building for the game the game definitely lends itself to be played multiple multiple times because every path has its um you know unique route um you know and, and when you go through a playthrough you can only choose one house so there is four paths in the game there is the blue lion's path there is the Golden Deer Path, there is the uh, Church Path, and then there is the Black Eagles Path. Now you might be wondering, wait a minute, the Church Path, but you could only join one of the three houses. Where does a church come in? So one of the biggest key points in the game is there is this enemy called the Flame Emperor. It's a pretty cliche name, but uh, it's not a cliche character idea. Now, the Flame Emperor is just kind of this like, being that exists that's like a villain and you you see the flame emperor a couple times through your playthrough turns out the flame emperor is none other than edelgard von hressfeld herself so she has this whole idea of of taking down the church because she doesn't agree because there is there's a lot of stuff that, that goes on with with the church uh they, they do some some things that Edelgard doesn't agree with, and she's not just bashing the church like, oh, screw the church. Like, you don't want that. That's not her ideas. Her ideas is rebuilding all of Fodland, unifying the, the nations, and not separating and relying on the church like what the church does. And so she has these ideas and tries to execute them, so she takes the identity as the Flame Emperor to try to have people help her that she doesn't necessarily want to keep. It's this group called... um those who slither in the dark. There are these kind of like dark magicians and kind of people who literally live underground in this place called Shambhala. And it's very, very interesting fighting that. So if you choose the Black Eagle's path um, and you don't end up siding with Edelgard, there's a very specific thing you have to do, which if you're listening to this and you don't care for spoilers or you know you already do it or you're trying to figure out how to get this path... Uh, a week before the Flame Emperor reveal, I don't remember exactly what month that's in, uh, so don't quote me on that, uh, like what month, but 
a week before when you're exploring the monastery, if you go and find Edelgard in the hallway outside the dining hall and you talk to her, she'll give you this option if you have a high enough support with her. She'll give you this option to go and go into the Adrestian Empire with her to speak to the current emperor, her father. So if you go and do that, then you basically pledge your allegiance to Edelgard. And it will give you the option once the, the Flame Emperor is revealed to join Edelgard's side and fight against the church and all of the rest of the people. So that's how the, the, the paths diverge. If you don't talk to her before that week, then the Flame Emperor reveal goes and you by default have to side with the church. So all of the playthroughs offer something very unique and all of them are a lot of fun. The Blue Lion's Path deals with Dimitri becoming the king and exiled. He has an eye patch, and he's really – he's edgy. That's the best way to describe it. Um, but he's, he's just broken. He's just the shell of the former person that he was. And it's got a really good character arc that he has to develop because Dudu at that point has died. Um, but if you played your cards right in the pre-time skip – because there's also a time skip. Um, there's a five-year time skip uh, once you find out Edelgard's the uh, Flame Emperor. There's a five-year time skip. So after that, you end up, uh, you know, in, in the Blue Lions route. Then you, uh, then you go through and you meet up with the rest of your characters who all look different, have better skills, and, and all this other stuff. You go and you you find them, recreate your group, and then go and invade the other lands with the students or in fighting against the students and the people that you weren't able to recruit. But you you fight alongside the church, so you don't have to you don't have to battle with the archbishop or any of the other characters associated with the church. Um, if you do the golden deer route, um, the golden deer route is, uh, is a lot of fun. I love the golden deer route because Claude is very interested the house leader is very interested in like lore and the world. And that's the best playthrough to play. If you're looking for like an explanation of Fodlin and all of the lore, because you find out some very interesting things. You find out that Lady Rhea is actually Lady Saros from that opening cutscene like a thousand years ago. You find out that, that that's her. You find out interesting things. Two characters, Seteth and Flane, you find out that both of them are actually two saints that were supposedly uh, had died off. But it's actually them in the flesh. They never died off. They are living there and seeking refuge in the church. And you find out a lot of very interesting things like that. Um, and then, you know, the Golden Deer route, you end up fighting like the reincarnated King Nemesis. It's, it's a long story to explain, but... It's very, very interesting, uh, that playthrough. It's a very tough boss fight, and oh my god, it's a lot of fun. The church route is the worst out of the, out of the bunch. No one's really going to dispute, dispute you on this. It's like a diet version of the Golden Deer playthrough, except you start off you know, wanting to be with Edelgard, and then you don't get Edelgard at the end, and you don't get Hubert, her companion, at the end either. Which is kind of like, well, then what's even the point of doing the church route? Because like the payoff isn't really even that good. You do a lot of the same uh, stories as the Golden Deer, but the payoff's just not that good. Um, and then the Edelgard route, the Black Eagles route. That one is, oh my gosh. Depending on how you play, it can be like the most emotional playthrough. And really, because what I did is because I kind of knew how like the, the playthrough was going to go. So I didn't recruit any students. So you have to go through and fight and take down all of the students that you came in contact with. And if you do so as the professor, then they have these like lines that they say like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. I can't believe that I'm fighting you. I never thought it would come to this. And it gets really, really emotional because some characters have deep connections with each other. And it's a very, 
very emotional playthrough, but gameplay-wise, it is so much fun. Really tough. Really, really tough. But it is a lot of fun. Overall, if I'm going to rate all of the playthroughs simply for how much I enjoyed them, uh, personally, Golden Deer is on the top for me. <laughs> I love the Golden Deer playthrough. So much fun. Um, Blue Lions and uh, the Black Eagles playthrough, I, I, I love them for both different reasons, so I'm going to have them tied. Um, Blue Lions is a little bit more nostalgic because it was my first playthrough. But I still love both of them. And then the church route is the the, the bottom one because it just didn't offer really a whole lot of new things. Um, but other than that, Fire Emblem Three Houses is a beyond phenomenal game with a lot of stuff that can feel overwhelming at times. But through time and through multiple playthroughs, you can definitely see yourself loving the game. I played through the game four times, started my fifth playthrough, and then lent it to a friend. So I don't have the game as of right now. But I'll have to pick that up because a new DLC dropped with a whole new route to play and new classes to try out, which are some classes that I was begging for in the in the, the regular game. Um, so with that, time to go on to the obligatory game rating. I am going to rate Fire Emblem Three Houses a 9 out of 10. The only bad thing can be the first playthrough, because for someone who's just like casually playing the game, there's a lot to learn. There's like weapons, uh, there's no weapon triangle per se in this game, so that's something you don't have to worry about. But, you know, there's a lot of things you have to learn and like understand, and that can be overwhelming at times, you know, it's not very forgiving in that aspect. And then the only other thing, kind of what I talked about a second ago, is some of the classes some classes are gender locked so there's a war master which is like just brute strength they use axes and and uh and um what are gauntlets and they just like punch and they're super strong and they deal a lot of damage that's a male gender locked class um the pegasus knight is a female gender locked class so it kind of sucks because if you want to either for the memes or for the practical uses you can't have uh you know certain characters excel super high in magic um, you know, like the females have the best magic classes in the game and that, that does kind of suck. It does. It does. Um, but that's really the only downside, but they added some, some new classes into the game. So some classes, I don't know if they took out the, the gender locked, uh, thing, but, um, definitely the new classes are going to offer a lot more gameplay and maybe the gender lock thing won't be as big of an issue since we have all these new classes coming up. So nine out of 10 is what I am rating this game. And with that, that is the show. Thank you guys all for tuning in and listening to my show today. I will be back next Tuesday again. So if you want to tune in, you can listen live at kssu.com or you can find my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on my YouTube channel at Argon Games. Thank you all for listening and have an incredible day.